Amen. Um, Matthew 6.33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, I know that we mentioned this verse last week when we were talking about it, and we kind of skim through it, and we say, seek first his righteousness, and we know that, but uh, how do we do that? You know, we just kind of, we read things and we quote things, but uh, how do we actually put it into practice? How do we do that? And I didn't get a chance to go into any detail with it last week, so I want to do that today and continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount, part 27, if you're keeping track. We're in chapter 6, though, that's... Two, two chapters, hey, that ain't bad, is it? <laughs> so Andrew Murray said, God is ready to assume full responsibility for your life, for the life wholly yielded to him. When you get up in the morning, God is saying, hey, I got this day under control, so you can just let go and let me take care of it. We do that in the mornings, and then we pick it up. We have yo-yo prayers. You know what yo-yo prayer is? It's something you put down with God, and then you throw yo you, and you bring it back on your way out. And uh, we need to uh, allow God to do that through us, to be able to know that he's in charge, and he's responsible for us. Parents, you're responsible for your kids, aren't you? The state holds you accountable for your children. Well, we're God's kids as believers, and he is responsible for us. And he's trying to do the best he can to mold us and get you in the direction he wants you to go. Sometimes it's painful. God spanks his children. How many have been spanked by God? More times than I want to mention. <laughs> and I'd rather have my dad take me out to the woodshed than I would to have God spank me. <laughs> because he knows just the right spots to hit. You know, if you put books in your in your coat or whatever when you go out when your dad's going to take care of you, trying to protect you. Well, God goes through the books, so it, ain't, ain't, it isn't going to work like that. My dad never took me to the woodshed, but he did make me lay across his lap. And it was not fun. And if you did not, if you ran, the spanking will be worse. And he used belts. My dad believed in belts. They weren't just for holding up his trousers. And he left welts. Oh, if I could have had that abuse line back then, I'd been, I'll tell you, it'd been great. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if your kids, the Bible says, if your kids are unruly, the rod will drive it from them, or the belt, or the back of your hand. Of course, that's why he created bums to sit on and to paddle. So, And uh, I know the state disagrees with that. Well, that's too bad. I'm going with God on this one. He knows more about it than we do. So uh, that's what we want to do. Paul Fitz said, in order to seek first the kingdom, we must begin by seeking first the king, his praise, his purpose, and his plan. We cannot seek the kingdom without having the king. If we don't have the king, which is Jesus in our heart and life, we can't seek his kingdom because that's the, that's the uh, main requirement. You have to have the king living in your heart in order to be able to seek it. Some people are out there trying to seek to through the do righteousness and all this other kind of thing they're trying to do, but they don't have God in their heart. And so it's so hard to do that. But we and we seek, and that's setting our mindset to seeking him. Not just, well, okay, God, here I am, thank you. Here's my, oh, uh-oh, I don't like that one. It says go out and hang yourself. No. <laughs> Once in a while that kind of theology works, but generally I don't do that. 
God speaks to us in many ways when we read his word, and that's why it's important to read his word every day, because he will give you guidance every day. And uh, you'd be surprised at uh, the things that God would tell you if you would just read his word. This word's been around for a long, long time. And history has been repeated I don't know how many times. Now, I know that we, we repeat history with more conveniences, but it's still repeated. And we're on this uh, carousel in our, in our world, and it didn't work. Something didn't work, we keep doing it, or we throw money at it. The nation does that, but anyway. Doesn't work, okay, we need more money. But we don't need to do that with God. When we seek him, he takes care of the things that we need. The kingdom of God in Hebrew is makra, and in Greek, Balsilia, meaning rank, authority, and sovereign control exercised by a king. Now, Bastilia also adds the meaning, includes the realm over which a sovereign exercises authority and may also include the people who belong to the realm and over them, over, over whom authority is exercised. But these are secondary and derived meanings. The essence of the kingdom is the authority to rule the sovereign power of the king. The synonyms for kingdom include power, might, and glory as expressions of authority. We in America, we don't really understand the, the fact of having a king. In England, they do. They have a, they have a queen. But right, basically, they don't do anything. A, a lot of things, to, to as far as exercising authority into the, the realm, the, the, their government does that. But in the, in the times of the Bible or other areas of the time, the king is the ultimate authority. Whatever he said went. He said, take them out, cut off their head. They went and took, cut off their head because he had the ultimate authority. Everything he said was law. And I know that sometimes people are like that. They think, well, hey, what I'm saying, law. In reality, that's God's the way God rules. And we have a hard time understanding the, the king. Uh, so I'm going to look at some ways that um, we can seek the kingdom. And first, we can seek his kingdom by allowing Christ our king to rule, reign, and regulate our thinking so that the Spirit of God is in control of all aspects of our life, relationships, and ministry. Only when God is in complete control of us are things going to work the way they're supposed to be. We would find we would have less problems in our life if we would just follow God, if we just committed our life to him and allowed him to work through him and seek him, seek his face, seek his will in our life. And God has a will for your life every single day of your life. He has an overall will of his, of his life, the whole, your whole life as a whole, and he has them individually. Every second, God has a will for your life. And every second, if we control our will, give it to him, then our lives will be better. I know that if you look back in your life and look at the mistakes and, and some of the things that's happened to you, you're going to find a decision that you made without God, generally speaking. Uh, and... We have a lot of people that say, oh, I'm going to do this, and I'm just going to trust God. Well, you need to trust God before you do that. Everything in our life, God wants to be involved in. I don't care whether it's buying a car or buying a house. We need to let God be in control. God knows we need transportation to get to work and those kind of things. So why not ask him to provide that for you? Now, you, know, you can pray for a Cadillac, but you might get a beat-up Chevy. You know, you have to be willing to accept what God gives you, but he will provide for you. If you need a place to live, God will provide it. It won't be the Taj Mahal necessarily. You can pray for that, 
but we're willing to, to uh, let God provide whatever he provides. Thank you, Jesus, for it. Because God does provide on his timetable. I mean, it's hard being without a job for a few months, isn't it, Brother Val? But ultimately, he provides. And if you don't want a job and you go to this church, don't ask us to pray. Because that's one prayer we know God answers because we've seen it over and over and over again, haven't we? God is faithful when we're faithful. See, when we're faithful, God is faithful in providing for us the things that we need to do. But if we're trying to do it on our own, God will let you and you'll fail, usually miserably. And it's not pretty. It's easier to trust God and, and let God work it out and say, look what the job God gave me. He can teach me how to ride, drive one of those great big trucks. Man, I'd like to go over there and drive that thing. That sounds like fun. <laughs> and sneak in there, you got a key? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> but it's only when Christ has uh, complete control of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we're able to gain the perspective necessary to see and experience the mind of Christ. We'll never see or experience the mind of Christ until he's in control. Because he is the head. We're the body. And we can't do anything productive without the head. You cut off people's head, they do not live. I know that if you cut off a chicken's head, they run around for a few minutes before they actually die because they don't know they're dead. <laughs> but that don't happen with us. Cut off our head, we're dead. And Christ is our head. And when we don't allow that head to function through our lives and through our bodies, we're in trouble. Because he knows everything that we need to do at the right time. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. I can't tell you um, um, how much the word of God, reading it, means to our life. Our spirit person that lives within us. We say, well, I read it and I don't understand it and I can't get anything out of it and don't remember it. Well, that's okay because your spirit does. Your spirit understands Hebrew and Greek. <laughs> and if it's all Greek to you, you read it anyway. Because your spirit will get it and it will understand it and it will grasp it. And you'll be surprised that, that that'll come up in you when you need it. Say, man, I didn't think I got anything out that. But man, God showed me that right now. But we got to put it in. I've told you many times, sin will keep you from this book, or this book will keep you from sin. If you're struggling with something in your life, read the Bible. If you're tempted to do something, maybe you're trying to quit smoking. Every time you want a cigarette, read the Bible first. I told a friend of ours that was trying to quit, I said, make it just as uncomfortable for yourself to be able to quit. She struggled with smoking for three years, and she's a believer, and she hated it. So I told her, go out the farthest part of the yard that there was. It was a pretty big-sized yard. And when it's raining and snowing, it's miserable. She, you know, she found out she didn't. The same thing applies to drinking, doing drugs, whatever it is. Read God's word, because he'll break that in your life. I know because he's broken a lot of things in my life. Sometimes you look back and say, hey, man, I haven't done that for a long time. And it isn't just that. Maybe it's watching certain times of programs. And you're having trouble with that, with that show you used to watch because you'd, you know you shouldn't be watching that show. But the carnal nature inside you keeps turning the TV on to that channel. Read, read the Bible first. It's amazing the strength that you can get out of that 
to help you not to do those things. Now, if God tells you something is a sin, do your best not to do it. Give it to him. Let him break the bondage by reading his word and that. And just because something's a sin for you doesn't mean it's a sin for me. So if you can do something, that, or I, can't, I can do something you can't, don't, don't worry about it. God's taking care of it. God knows that, that I need to, not to do this. And maybe it won't harm you. Now, I don't know what those things are, only that's between you and God. There are the lot, a lot of them are black and white. But there's a lot of gray areas that we say, well, man, I don't know. And I have people come and ask me things. Well, can I do this? And I would say, generally, no, because you know you shouldn't or you wouldn't come with me. You just want somebody to give you permission to do it. And it may not be bad. Maybe you're watching too much TV. 20 hours of TV a day is too much, let me tell you. <laughs> you don't need anybody to tell you that. But if you're struggling with some area of your life, that's the way you're going to break the bondage. God can only break the bondage in us. We can't break it. And we sit there and we fight and we struggle, but we do need to do those things because that's how we get strong. We're struggling and persevering and keeping on. So we got to let God do that through us. But if we're tempted to do something, read the Bible or pray. Because if, you're, if it's going to lead you to praising God or reading God's word, the devil don't want you doing that. So that's, if you want to get, make, make the devil angry and hurt him, how many of us want to hurt, just get that devil, you know, I want to just stomp on him. The Bible says he's under our feet anyway. But if he tempts us to do something and we go right to reading God's word or praying or whatever it is, I guarantee you he's going to quit using that because he doesn't want us doing those things. So if you want to beat up on him, that's the way you do it. You want to get a right cross? John, go to the cross, Corinthians, whatever it is. You're going to jab at him with the word of God. And ultimately it helps you because you can't get it out if you don't put it in. <clears throat> there are some times that God will miraculously give you a verse you've never heard of before or don't think you've ever heard of before that he'll bring out and you'll go look it up and say, man, it's in the Bible. Because sometimes we say something and we, it sounds like Bible, doesn't it? Sounds like it came from God. Sounds like it came right from his word. So sometimes you can do a search and find out that it actually did. So we need to meditate and memorize verses because it makes us stronger. And we put it in our heart. <clears throat> and we get a deeper meaning of what he's trying to tell us. Because the world when that, that isn't a believer, that aren't believers, read the Bible. They don't really understand it. They can get some surface meaning out of it. This is a history book. It gives you history of a lot of things. But if you want a deeper meaning, you've got to know the author. And then when you know the author, you've got to read his letters to you more to get to know him, to know how much he loved you. In Sunday school, we're doing the, <coughs> the series we're doing. It says, you want to know how much God loved you? The cross. That showed how much God loved you. Every single person in here, God loves that much. If you were the only person in this world, Jesus would have still come and died because he loves you that much, enough to die for you. He says, I don't want to live without you. Man, you think about that for a minute. God doesn't want to live without us. He wants us. That's why he came and died. So, but we need to do those things in order to seek him. The second way to seek the kingdom is through praise. Now, praise has a way of focusing us on God than any other thing. I mean, sure, we pray, but then we're focused on the, on the requests that we're making and the things we're doing. But the praise is, is we're acknowledging God for who he is. I've told people many times, there's a lot of things I have a hard time praying through, but praising through gets it every time. Because when you're praising God, you get lost in his presence. 
And all of a sudden, that, that, that problem or whatever, it just kind of flies away. You don't really think about it because the presence of God is in your heart. And you don't think about that stuff. When God's, when God's around and his, his presence and his glory flowing, there isn't a problem that's going to stick around. And so sometimes we need to do that. We need to just, just praise God. I praise God. I don't know how you're going to work this situation out. I just know you're going to. So I'm thanking you in advance for what you're going to do. And I trust you, and I'm giving it to you. Thank you, Jesus. We need to do that more often. And when we do, we're going to find out that the things of this world will fade away when we get focused on him. First <clears throat> Chronicles 29, 10 to 13. Praise be to you, O Lord, God our Father, Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. This is great to do. This is a great verse. You can just read this to God as a praise. Sometimes you don't know what to say when you're praising God. Look up the things in the Bible. That's another reason why to read the Bible, because you get information. Man, you just say that to God. And I'm a kid, you start thinking about those things. Wow, God's going to intervene in our life. So that's why it's important to read God's word. Not only that he'll give us answers, he gives us ways to uh, quote his word back to him. And he inhabits our prayers. He dwells with us. You want, you want God around? I mean, he dwells with it all the time. Jesus lives in our heart through the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, he's with us every place we go. But he wanted over uh, a more, more of God than praising. Because he'll be there, Johnny on the spot, and call his name, he's there. I know that because I've had to call that name. So all the time I had to do just say Jesus. And he rescues you. Not only in this physical realm, but in the spiritual realm. So we need to realize that God gave us a whole book of stuff. The Psalms is loaded with stuff that we can, we can quote back to God and give us hope for. You just got to read it to find it. And keep a journal. When God speaks to you about some, some verse or it just jumps out at you, write it down along with the day and the thought that you were thinking when you read that verse. And then at the end of the year, go back and review all that stuff because it's amazing. God speaks to you every single day when you read his word. And maybe you're not listening with your ears, but your spirit is listening. Uh, so the, the third way to seek the kingdom is by resisting, rejecting, and renouncing all other kingdoms. Now this is important, very important. We know as people that come to America with, from other nations, they have to turn their back basically on where they come from. They have to relinquish all loyalty to that place they were born. They have to relinquish that flag and take up the American flag. See, the problem that we have in America is because people come here and they want to keep their flag. And we have to bow down to them. When the reality is, no, if you want to be a citizen of America, you have to forsake all that other things. I don't care where you came from. If you're not willing to, be, to forsake that, then don't be a citizen. You got to drive around after citizenship. They swear that and see if they have their old flags with them. Because that's where the heart is, because... They want to hang on to it. I want to be an American because I want all the benefits, but I want to hang on to my own country. You can't. You cannot be divided. You have to have one loyalty. And the same thing applies to God. We have to be loyal to him. 
There are kingdoms that are trying to compete with the kingdom of God that includes egotistical, monetary, fleshly, worldly, and devilish influences. Man, I'll tell you, we're being bombarded everywhere, aren't we? James 4, 6 through 8a. But he gives more, more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourself then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. The submitting part, we like this verse except for the submitting part. We don't like that because we want to be in control of everything we do and say. But you can't. If you're not willing to submit yourself to what God wants to do in your life, your life's going to be miserable because you're dividing kingdoms. You're being pulled both directions. Your spirit wants to serve God, and your flesh wants to serve this world. And so you have this battle going back and forth and back and forth. But God says if you submit, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, resist the temptations, whatever it might be through reading his word and praying, and he will flee. Do you want the devil to flee? Do those things. And God will come near to God and he will come near to you. See, so we have to come to God first. He's not just going to come to us and say, oh, overpower, so, oh, I guess God's here. We have to seek God. And when we come near to God, we focus on God and want to be closer to him, then he will be closer to us. There's always a prerequisite to the thing, those things. There's a process to the kingdom. Show the next slide, please. <clears throat> There's a process to belong to the kingdom. Repentance. Now, this is the hardest one that, that we do because a lot of people don't think they've done anything wrong. I'm not a sinner. Yes, you are. Everyone in here is a sinner. If you're not a believer, you're still a sinner. We're all sinners. God doesn't change that until we get our glorified bodies. We're redeemed. That's the only difference. He paid the price for our sin. So we have to repent. And repenting means going a different direction. So if you've been serving God and do, I'm serving the devil and going over here, and then remember, there's only two forces. You're either serving God or you're serving the devil. You can't do both. And if you're trying to do both, you're serving the devil. Because our double-mindedness corrupts, it, it, it'll destroy us. We have to be in one, one side of the fence or the other. We can't be on it because it, it, it's uh, just something we can't do. And then relinquishing control of our life to Christ. Oh, man, we hate that because we want to be in control. We want to run around that song, I did it my way. Well, God says, I don't want you doing it your way. I want you to do it my way. So it's hard for us to do that. But if you want to be in the kingdom, that's what you have to do. You have to renounce and forsake everything we are or have. <laughs> we don't want to do that either. Man, I don't want to renounce some of the things I've been doing in my life. I like doing them. Although I know it's a sin, I still like doing them. We have to be willing to relinquish that and allow God to come in and take control of that. And pretty soon you'll wake up one day and say, you know what? I'm not doing that anymore. Susie's testified several times about cussing. She said, man, she had a, of course, I have a problem with two. Her, her and I went to this, were on the same ship, the sailors. We'd curse like a sailor. I, I'd embarrass the sailors. <laughs> and she said she always struggled with this, trying not to cuss. But when she got saved, she realized, hey, it's been a whole week without him cussed. Shock. Well, God comes in and he just does those kind of things with it. When we relinquish control and we forsake everything we are or have. Now, forsaking it, that means, God, it belongs to you. I've given it to you. Everything you have, God gave you. If you have a job, God gave it to you. If you have any money, God gave it to you. God owns everything, and he owns us. 
because he died for us. He created us. We belong to him. Whether you accept him or not, you still belong to God because he created you. You just have a choice to live for him or not. And he's preparing a home for those that have made that decision. And he breaks his heart, all the ones he looks at that aren't willing to do that because they see serving God as something they don't want to do. They don't understand that when you're doing it, you realize it's the best thing that could ever happen to you in your life. It's serving God. It's fulfilling. It makes you, oh my goodness, you just feel so much better serving God. And it's hard for the world not to understand that. We cannot explain that enough because it just does, it boggles the mind. And we can understand the word. That's the one that really too. All of a sudden, that stuff you used to read, it makes sense. All right. And we feel like a theologian <laughs> because God's speaking to open up our eyes to the stuff. Then we can receive Christ as the Lord of all aspects of our lives, hearts, and minds. See, he isn't just our Savior. You can't have a Savior unless you're willing to have a Lord. And a Lord means that you are a slave, and he's the master, and he takes care of us, and he'll do all those things for us. We don't like that word because all the uh, negative things we think about it. But in reality, there was times in the Old Testament where slaves could be freed, but they didn't want to be free because they loved their master. And so they became lifetime servants. And they had to go up and they'd put a big awl in their ear and hammer it next in a doorpost and then put a big earring in it showing that they are a love servant of Christ or their master. And that's what we are. God wants to be our master and we love him. So it's not really, we're not really slaves. We just can't help ourselves. We love God so much we just do things that he wants us to do. I love my husband. I'm not his slave, though. I'm not his servant. We're in this together. And there's no such thing as this is a man's job and this is a woman's job. No such thing. I told you many, many times, there's nothing more sexy than a man in an apron. Guys, you hearing this? (laughs) (laughs) You look good in an apron. You look good in anything, though. <laughs> That's a bad thing about when, you're, when your son's sitting in the audience. He gets embarrassed easy. Of course, I wouldn't be talking about embarrassment after the last week. Ah, moving on. Fourth way to seek the kingdom is to think, pray, and act ev- evangelically. We have to think according to the thoughts that God wants us to think. And God loves everybody. Somebody shared God's love with us, and he wants us to duplicate the process with others. Now, there's a tendency to uh, put um, our priorities ahead of God's priorities and doing things our way. And we need to pray for wisdom in doing all the things that we do. We need to pray for wisdom about that. Pastor Sheldon is is praying about wisdom on on something he needs to do. You can have surgery, not have surgery. It's kind of a great thing that he has to ask God for wisdom. But he's in a position where he has to trust God. Who else is he going to trust? And when we're in those positions and we have to trust God, we find out that, hey, man, he comes through. Has anybody ever trusted God that he failed you? Anybody? No. Your friends and family will fail you, but God will never fail you. He wrote his promises down. Kids, sometimes you need to get your Promises from your parents in writing and notarized. (laughs) That's the generation we live in. 
And then you have to make sure the fine print's all right or they'll find a way to get out of it. That's the world we live in. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. For those, oh, where'd I do? Where am I at that verse? Uh, go to the next one. I might have missed that one. Oh, no, I didn't. I see it now. There you go. go. Okay, well, I just got to mix it up out of order. Go to the next one. Next slide. There it is. Then Jesus said, come, came to him and said, all authority is given to me on earth and is be given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do, obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is our marching orders. We don't just get saved, my four, no more. God wants us to go outside and reach the world for him and for his kingdom. When he lives within us, his heart is for the lost. And we need to have a heart for the lost. We have to be willing to step out ourselves and go. Now, I'm not saying we have to go knock on doors everywhere we go and talk to people, unless God's called you to do that. And I've done that in my time, in my life. And I have led people to the Lord doing that. But generally... It's easier to ask somebody, to invite somebody to church or talk to the people that you know because they're looking at your life and they're seeing something in your life. Anyway, hopefully they are. If they're not, pray so they will because are you the kind of Christian that people would like to emulate? If the answer is no, do something about it. Only you can change it because if you do, you're going to find out that people are going to start asking you questions and you will be a witness. He didn't tell us to to beat people over the head with the gospel. He said, be a witness. Do the things you need to do. Pray over your meal. Take a Bible to work and read it on your breaks or something. It's amazing what, how, how the opportunities come to you when you do that. But we're responsible to share the gospel through evangelism, discipleship, and growing his church. See, this body of believers is his church. It's his body. The church isn't just this, this building. It's all the believers throughout the world. We make up the church. The body of Christ is the church. And we need to do everything we can to reach the world for him. And we need to help people realize that if they, they're not saved, they're going to hell. The I don't remember what his name was. Race car driver, I think it was, that was at the, this year's prayer breakfast. And he spoke. And he said right then, he says, if you don't know, have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to hell. Obama didn't like that. And the other people that were there, that's why he spewed out all the stuff he did about Christianity shortly after that. But that's what happened. He didn't care. We got to quit caring about what people think and start caring more about what God thinks. Because when we care more about what God thinks, that's when we'll start being able to reach the people for the, for the Lord. And that's what we ultimately we need to do. The fifth way to seek first is kingdom and helping others think and act the way Jesus would. We can't think right unless our sins of commission and omission are under the blood. We can't because the devil will keep throwing those things up in our face. See, you're calling yourself a Christian and you did that. No, I confess that it's under the blood. What we got to do? Praise God, it's under the blood. And if he keeps reminding you that and he keeps saying, it's under the blood, praise the Lord, he'll quit doing that too. You know, it's real easy. We have a way to control the devil if we want to. But we're too lazy. Or we don't really realize that we have that power and authority. Jesus gave us the power and authority in this verse. These are our marching orders. And he says, I will be with you. 
And he is with us, isn't he? If we're a believer, he lives in our hearts. And where I go, Jesus goes. And if you're going someplace, Jesus has to stay outside the door. You, you, you need to do something about that. So if you're wondering what, if, whether that, Jesus would be pleased with that, ask him. Say, well, think about this. Now, God, would you want me doing this? Can you see Jesus going in there? It's amazing how those gray areas kind of shrivel up and die when we do that. So we have to live, first of all, by his ethics, not our own, because man's um, ethics or whatever changes with each new Congress, doesn't it? So we need to look to this to get our marching orders and find out the things that we can do and we can't do. Uh, Romans 14, 17, hopefully it's there. Yeah, okay. For the kingdom of God is not being and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. See, we think that the kingdom is something physical right now here. And it isn't yet. It isn't here physically. It's in us. The kingdom is here. It's not what we eat, not what we drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's what, that's what the kingdom is. It's those things right there. And when you have the kingdom, you have those things. You just start re- realizing you do. You can have peace. When you're in the kingdom, there's peace. When, there's, when you're in the kingdom, there's joy. And we will be righteous. We, and that means doing what's right. We will do it right, what's right. <coughs> Uh, sixth way to seek first his kingdom is proclaiming that the kingdom of Christ is coming soon. I know that the world laughs and scoffs about, oh, we've heard this for 2,000 years, but every time they say that, you just got to say, hey, you just quoted scripture because that's what the Bible says you said you'd say. One day, the kingdom of God is going to come and he's going to physically set up his kingdom on this earth for 1,000 years during the millennial reign. He will do that. And he's working Everything's working towards that. And I tell you, time's short. We live in a world where I'll tell you, <laughs> I tell those people that many times, if we're not in the tribulation, we're, God's missing a good chance. Because I'm not kidding you, all the stuff going on in this world. And we need to pray for all the Christians over in other areas. I know that a lot of you have heard that they, they martyred 21 Christians, Coptic Christians from Egypt. They said they just killed people, but they were Christians. They're cleansing out the Christians. They're killing the Christians. And nobody cares. In our government, anyway, seems to. And we need to start praying for them because they are going through a lot more struggles than you are. And I don't know how much of that's going to happen here. I don't know. I don't pretend to know. But it doesn't matter. If I die, I go to heaven. So you really can't lose when you're a Christian. This life that we live here is just so short. Just it's gone. We look at, look at it when, when you're a small child, if you live to be a 70 or something, they go, wow, that's a long time. But when you're 69, it isn't a long time. It's all perspective, isn't it? <laughs> the people I used to think were old are my friends. <laughs> so we need to realize we need to do that. Uh, Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore God exalted himself to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father, glory of God the Father. Now one day, he's going to come, and one day every single knee will bow, willingly or by force they will. I choose to bow my knee now. I choose to confess him now with my tongue. 
But one day, if, if you're not a believer, you're going to do it by force. And if you have to, if it has to be done by force, then it's not going to be pretty for you. And if you, the funny thing about it is, you know, we have this verse, that, oh, God's a mean God because he's doing this. No, he isn't. He loves us. That's why he come and died for us. And when you love somebody, you're willing to do a lot of things for them. And that's the easiest thing that you can do is bow your knee to God and say, here I am. I am no longer mine. I belong to you. My life is yours. Everything I have is yours to use as you want. Because we're, we're, we're stewards. We're not owners. You think you own something in this world? You should know better. You think you own your house? Why do they keep sending you tax notices every year? You don't own nothing. They can take it away just like that. They can condemn your property and take it for a, make a zoo or something there, animal sanctuary. Because we don't own anything. We keep paying for it, even when it's paid off. We keep paying for it, don't we? Because the government wants theirs. And uh, so we need to understand that, that one day it's going to happen. And we need to be prepared spiritually and occupied with fulfilling the Great Commission. When our spirit is healthy, we will be healthy, and we'll be doing things God wants us to do. The seventh way we seek first his kingdom is by protesting all competing forces. We have a society that thinks, oh, Christians aren't supposed to get involved in politics. Well, we swallowed that lie for how many years, and look what we got. We need righteous people in office, because only righteous people are going to do what's right. And they're not going to be influenced by all these other things. Oh, i got to do this for this group of people, or they won't vote for me. You need to represent God, number one. And when the politicians do that, and they get back to our roots... Our nation will be salvaged. And it's amazing what you can do. It's amazing. We find that, you know, we find evidence of that in our in our giving. When we give to God and we prioritize, we find out that, hey, I can live better on the 90% than I ever did on the 10. But we have to trust God to do that. And I've told God, you need to sell one of your cows. I need some money. He owns cows on the thousand hills. If you're in a bind, you need to tell God, God, sell one of your cows. I need some money. <laughs> I've done that. And God's provided in miraculous ways. He will meet our needs. He doesn't promise to meet all our wants, but he promised to meet our needs. And uh, so when, you're faithful, when he's, we're faithful to him, he will be faithful to us. Evil forces are against Christ, ruling over social, political, and economic influences. But we need to oppose those that are against Christ. We don't, he didn't call us to sit on our pew and say, oh, I hope everything turns out right. I'm going to pray, and I will vote, but it doesn't matter who I vote for because yes, it doesn't matter who you vote for. You're responsible for your vote. And when you stand before God, he's going to say, hey, look who you voted for. They believe this. We need to search those things out. And sometimes in America, right now, where it's kind of the, the lesser of two evils is what we're voting for, isn't it? And but one day, if we ever get righteous people in those offices, things are going to turn around. Our nation was built on righteousness and doing what's right, and we flourished. As soon as we started getting away from God's pur- purposes and principles, we're in a mess, aren't we? And that happens to our individual lives, too. Not just the nation. It's just more evident, because what happens there influences us a lot, doesn't it? The eighth way we seek first his kingdom is through spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6, 12. We battle not against the flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and desolate. Man, 
I spell that wrong? The spores against the power, against the master spirits who are the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the supernatural sphere. If you don't know, we're at war. I got news for you. We are. When you became a believer, you joined the other side. You joined God's side. And the forces of hell and of this world want to destroy you. And they will if we let them. So we need to stand strong. We need to fight those battles. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. That's where the other one was clear up there, that one out of office, out of order. But I'll read it. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight, which are not the weapons of the world, on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Some people say, I'm not a fighter, I'm a lover. Well, if you use that theology in the spiritual realm, you'll die. <laughs> we need to be fighters. We're fighters because we're lovers, lovers of God. And we need to fight. And that's the reason we're going through so much around here is because we're fighters. And the devil knows his time is short. And he's doing everything he can to oppress us and cause all the problems he can cause for us. The question is, are you going to serve God through him or are you going to turn your back on God through him? Those are the choices you have. God wants us to fight. And he says, if you fight, I will be with you. You have the sword of my word. You have the shield of faith. You have the helmet of salvation. Everything that you need to fight these battles, God gave us. He didn't give us something we, we just think, well, man, what is that? He told us what we need and how to get it. Ninth way to seek his kingdom is by submitting to his plans instead of our own. Jeremiah 29, 11, 13. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come, to, and, come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. He has a plan for our life. Every day he has a plan for that day. But we need to know, be willing to live his plan. We have a purpose in this world. A lot of people say, well, I don't know why I'm here. You're here because God loves you and he wanted you here and he has a purpose for your life. And that purpose is important. Every one of us here today are important to God. We need to understand that. He loves us. He loves us as much as he loves any Paul or Peter or James, any of those guys that you can mention. Any person that you, that you hold up here on, on, that you think, man, he's such a great man of God. God loves us the same. He's not a respecter of persons. He, gave, he gives people different things for them to do, but he loves us. Proverbs 3.6. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct thy paths. Pastor Sheldon mentioned this earlier today. See, the, he will, when we acknowledge him, he will direct our paths. If we're not acknowledging him in our life, he cannot direct our path. It's as simple as that. And I know we're familiar with direct because we have direct TV. And I, it took me a while to figure that out. Why did they name it that? And then it finally dawned on me. They're directing. We are directing what TV we want to watch, aren't we? We choose the programs we want to watch. So we are directing it. Well, God will direct us. He will tell us what to do, where to go, if we'll let him. But we have to allow him to do those things. Um, at Mark 135. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, 
and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, if it was necessary for Jesus to spend time with God, the Father, early, why do we think we don't need it? It's crazy. We go, oh, man, that's right. I understand that. But yet we do. And we think we just utter a quickie prayer on the way to work, that 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 suffices. Now, there are times when that's all you can do because got up late, the alarm didn't go off, or different problems and issues that we have. But that isn't supposed to be our lifestyle. Our lifestyle is that we're supposed to go away and spend time with God, away from all the other things, away from the problems of this world. Turn off your phone, turn off the TV, whatever you need to do. That's why it's nice on Sunday nights when we pray is because nobody's going to call you here. If they do, it would be hard-pressed to hear the phone ring. <laughs> so you're kind of locking out the world, and you're able to just focus on God. And that's what God wants us to do every day. And when we do, he's filling up our tank. You know, if you're tired, and every day you're just dragging around, saying, man, I'm so tired, and I just can't rest. Well, read God's word, pray, and he will fill you up. And he, you can run on his fumes. <laughs> If we'll, allow, if we'll do that. Seeking his kingdom also has benefits, though. Of all those things that we do, we have benefits when we seek his kingdom first. It, it comforts, relieves our fears, anxieties, and insecurity. Now, I don't care how chaotic or unpredictable this life is. When we serve him and we seek him, we have peace. We have joy. We have all those kind of things that, that we don't know why, why what they are, really. I never knew what peace was until I got, became a Christian. I never knew what peace was. And we live in a chaotic world, and every, things happen, and every time we turn around, but when we belong to the kingdom, it will overcome the world. It will overcome our world, the world that we influence. We can be overcomers. We are overcomers through him. Amen? 11, Isaiah 11, 9. Trying to get through this fast. Uh, the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Seeking the first his kingdom unites all believers in one priority and purpose. We don't have to worry and argue about our differences. Now, I'm not going to get in a fight with the Baptists because they don't believe in baptism and the Holy Spirit. I figure it's just their loss. No matter what I say, whatever, until they experience it, you can't, you know. But I am not going to fight against them. We're all in this together. We have one goal, and that's evangelizing the world, finding people uh, to get saved or, or reaching out to them. Now, how many of you care if your family members, if a Baptist talks to them and leads them to the Lord? Does anybody care that they're not assemblies of God? <laughs> I don't. I don't care. We just want them saved. We need to agree on the things that we can agree on and run with that. Now, I'm not talking about the things the Bible goes against. You know, if, if it's a cult, I'm not serving it. I don't care. But I can still have something in common with them. <clears throat> a lot of people that are there, don't know what they believe. They just know what they're told, and they just assume because they don't know. But we need to realize we're out here to reach the community, and we need to stand side by side with those that have the same idea about reaching this community for him. And unity is what's going to do it. Now, I know that, you know, we sit there and we watch some people, and they, and they lead thousands of people to the Lord. And we only got one. And we think, oh, man, I'm such a failure. No, you're not. Because we're on the same team. When somebody scores a touchdown, it isn't just the person that scored the touchdown that celebrates, is it? 
You got the whole team jumping up and down and patting them on the head and uh, hugging them and all kinds of stuff that they're doing, doing chest bumps. I might do that once and it <laughs> hurt myself. But it's a team effort, and we're on a team. So when we're on the team, we don't need to worry about those, those hundred or those thousand because we get a part of it because we're on a team. We rejoice with them. Say, praise the Lord, hallelujah. I read, you know, I was listening to one of Joyce Meyer's statements. She said during that one weekend, over 1,200 people accepted Christ as their Savior. I thought, wow, what a great number. And we kind of think, oh, man, what am I doing? Well, see, God called her to that ministry. And God's going to judge her, not by how many people find, find the Lord through her ministry, but how faithful she was with God, what God gave her. That's what she's going to be judged on. And it's what we're going to be judged on. How faithful are we with what God has given us? I'm not, I'm not going to get the, maybe get those thousands of people in one weekend <laughs> to accept Christ. But God isn't going to judge me for that. God's going to judge me for what he's asked me to do. He wants me to go talk to the people that are in my circle of influence, our loved ones, our neighbors. And I'm not saying, oh, I went to church and I got to tell you about Jesus so you won't die and go to hell. All of a sudden, their back's going to get up and say, who are you telling me I'm going to go to hell? You know? So we need to do it God's way. And it doesn't matter how many, how they get saved as long as they do. That's the goal. Salvation for this community. Whether it's through this church or the Baptist church or uh, New Hope, I don't care. It doesn't make any difference to me. I want them saved and let God work all the other stuff out. But we need to be in agreement with the things that we can agree on. And that's our number one goal of all of us, isn't it? <clears throat> uh, let's see. Singing versus kingdom unites all believers. Uh, Philippians 3, 20 and 21. Okay, there we go. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power, by that power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. We're reminded <clears throat> the benefits is this this world isn't our home. You may be an American, but I'm a Christian. And this I'm just passing through this world. This is just a short time, and one day everything's going to be renovated by God. But see, my citizenship is in heaven. That's all that matters. That's the most important thing is that I have citizenship there. And we, and, uh, we need to realize that. And it, I'll tell you, our heritage is so great. You know, I don't, anybody have a rich uncle or aunt that you're, when they die, they're going to leave you a lot of money? I don't know any. <laughs> I've had people, my mother, when she died, I had to pay for, help pay for her funeral, <laughs> you know. <laughs> She's my mom. But I don't have any rich relatives. Well, actually, I do. I, I told, told Shel, Pastor Sheldon that his sister Christy's married to a guy that, that's, the, that's his rich relative is there. <laughs> I know rich relative, that's the only one we got. And I asked him if he'd adopt me, but he wouldn't. But it ain't about that stuff anyway. We're a family, aren't we? The Lord, they're believers, so it's okay. Uh, Romans fourteen seventeen. I read this earlier. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's what the kingdom is. Doing what's right, we do what's right, and we do what when we do what's right, we have peace and joy, because He provides it in our heart. When His love touches our heart, I'll tell you, it's amazing what it does to us. It just 
changes us and transforms us, and one day we're going to get a glorified body. Now that alone is a good enough reason I want to go to heaven. I don't like this body that much. It's, you know, it's failed me. It's failed me miserably. <laughs> of course, the doctors like it because it made a lot of money on me, but uh, I'm looking forward to that new body. I know that you young people that, that think that you're invincible and immortal and nothing's going to ever hurt you, so you do all these, these things that, I, I, I ow, makes me, makes me hurt. One day, Lord tarries, you wake up, and about 50, 55, you're going to say, oh, man, why did I do that when I was a kid? Because you pay for it. Everything you've done, you pay for it. And all us old people said, amen. <clears throat> but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. When we seek his kingdom first, he gives us all the stuff. We don't seek the stuff. We seek Jesus. And when we seek Jesus, he gives us the stuff. And I don't know what that stuff is, all the, you know, all the things that we need he will provide. But that's great, isn't it? I don't have to worry about the stuff because he'll provide it for me. But we have to be in the kingdom. Gordon Havenberger said, we belong to God's kingdom, not the shadow lands of this world. I mean, God's kingdom, you think about what he's got for us. You'll read in the Bible as he describes the new Jerusalem, the, our home, <clears throat> that we're going to live in that he's been preparing for us for over 2,000 years. It's a great place. And only the believers, the redeemed, get to live in there. That's exciting to me. So I don't care what you live in now. I don't care. You can have the nicest house in Canab and Fredonia. It ain't going to hold the candle to the home in heaven. I mean, man, he uses gold for asphalt. I mean, talk about extravagant. <laughs> I'd like to have the money it would be worth for, the, for that gold in that 1,500 miles square, up, down square. But he provides for us. But to obtain this kingdom, we have to accept the king. We have to repent of our sins and receive him as our Lord and our Savior. That's what we need to do to be part of the kingdom. Are you part of the kingdom? Let's pray. Our blessed and Father, Lord, I thank you for this day, Lord, and your blessings. And I know, Lord, you provided so much for us believers. Lord, you showed us how much you loved us when you came and died on the cross for our sin. But because you didn't want to live without us. And, Lord, that should just be enough to make all of our hearts melt because of the love that you have for us that we can't even comprehend. Lord, we love you, but we can't love you in any way close to the way that you love us. But I pray, Lord.